Hey, good morning, everyone. We are starting a brand new series in the book of James. We're going to be in it for four months. You guys ready? Good. Four of you. I'm excited about that. Excited about God's work. Uh, So go ahead. Your homework is to read through it. And um, we're going to be going verse by verse. And what I love about the book of James, it's so practical. It's so practical. Now, listen, we all understand that learning something differs greatly from putting it into practice, right? It's easy to learn something, the classroom setting, but then when you have to actually put it into practice, it's a whole other thing. It's like, you know, passing your driver's, your learner's permit, right? That's one thing, but it's a whole other thing when you actually have to get into the car and drive, Right? So many of you, you passed your learner's permit, but you're just horrible drivers. No, I'm just teasing. So my kids, my kids all took driver's education. Thank you, Lord, for driver's education because I have zero patience to teach them how to drive. So thank you for driver's education. And we gave them to those people to give them a headache. Um, my daughter, Lily, when she was, did great on her learner's permit when she was learning to drive, got home one day. Kathleen said to me, Barden, do not look at the car. So I didn't. No, of course. You know, I go out there, and there's this beautiful, beautiful yellow streak all the way down the side of the driver's side. of. Now, try to guess where she got that yellow streak. It was from Lily. Uh, going through the drive-through at McDonald's. So we got a free pinstriping on our car. And uh, she's been driving for many years now, and she's still terrible because she's just like her mother. But anyways, anyways, no, I'm, te- I, okay, then I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to pay for that. So listen, we're in this series, and this is what James is about. James is saying this to us. As we read through the book of James, James is going to tell us this. Listen, just don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. It's such a practical book. And it's the easy part. How many know the easy part is to believe and to study God's word as you're sipping your morning coffee in the morning, right? That, that's the easy part. It's like, oh, I love reading God's word and it's so wonderful. But then we have to start our day and we have no idea what our day is going to uh, throw at us. It's taking that part of our life and what we're learning and our growth in the Lord and our personal relationship with the Lord. And then it's actually translating that into our everyday living. And my dad always called, my dad calls it this way, my dad calls it untested holiness. See, the thing that is, is the way we grow is, is by being tested. It's, it's tested. We, we're going to see, what is our belief? Our belief is only as true as what, as what test we go through. It will reveal what we truly believe. And is what we believe being put in to practice. So we're going to look at this series on the topic of this, basically, as we go through each week. We're going to look at what we believe about Jesus, and then when that interacts with the reality of our lives. The belief that we have about Jesus, and then how it interacts with actual, the actual reality of our life and all the stuff that's going on in our lives. And what we're going to see in the first chapter of James is he talks about suffering. And he talks about that life is not easy. That life is actually a series of tests. 
And Jesus actually said, in this world, you're going to encounter tribulation. And we're going to count it many times in different ways. And life will not be easy. And so the question is, how do we live out what we believe during times of testing or trials? And so we understand that our relationship with Christ grows deeper through knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, and living it out every single day in our lives. And what James will show us is that trials prove that our knowledge is actual. Trials will show how true our faith is in Christ and how much we trust him. And so we're going to take a close look at the book of James. And the letter of James is so practical and and instructs us how to live out our faith when it is tested. And what's interesting about James is that he actually was the brother of Jesus. And he actually worshipped him as Savior James grew up with Jesus, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus when Jesus actually walked the earth. And what's interesting about James is this. The testimony of James and becoming a follower of Jesus gives so much credibility to the divinity of Christ and who he was. For this very reason, James grew up with Jesus. They were in the same family. Now, I don't know about you, But if you think anyone wouldn't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior in God, it would be his brother. I mean, tell me, what if your brother came up to you and said, hey, I'm the Savior of the world. Come and worship me. Right? The first thing you do is get him in a headlock and give him a noogie, right? You'd humble him a little bit, right? Here, James is a follower of Jesus. In fact, church tradition tells us that he became a martyr for Christ, James knew him. He grew up with him, and he believed in him, and he became a follower of Jesus after his resurrection. And James is now a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he gives his life to the sake of the call of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And James' purpose for writing this letter is for us not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. What happens when our faith is tested by suffering? And this is what he jumps into right away at the beginning of his letter. So let's read it together. We're going to look at the first four verses of the book of James, and let's see what it says. It says that James, James, he's saying, he's the author. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, can I just stop there for just a minute? I love that James identifies himself as a servant. He doesn't say, hey, the bro of Jesus, look at who I am. I've got special qualifications because I grew up with Jesus. No, he says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's there to do the bidding of his Savior. Every single one of us, that's our identity, is that we're servants of Jesus. And what a privilege it is to serve Jesus Christ. Amen? So he says, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This is who he's writing to. And he says, greetings. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's Let's see what James is saying here. So James, what he's doing is he's writing to these Jewish Christians who were living outside of Israel, and he writes to encourage them on how to grow in their faith. But the problem was is their confession didn't match their lifestyle. 
what they believed didn't translate into the way they were living. And we can battle with the very same thing. A major struggle with many followers of Christ is how do I consistently live out my faith and what does that practically look like? What does my faith look like when I go through a trial or testing or some type of suffering? James gets right to it at the beginning of his letter by saying that we are to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. It doesn't matter, whatever that trial may be. Notice how he doesn't say, if we face trials. He says, but when we face trials. It's a certainty that every single one of us will face trials. And we're to expect this. You see, at face value, it makes no sense. And we tend to see trials as a bad thing. Like, God, you're against me. Now, how many know that suffering is not fun? And the suffering itself may not be good. It may be bad in itself. But God says, I want to use this for my good. I want to give you a completely different perspective on how you're to look at the trials in your life. It makes no sense at the time. And we may think, God, this is not what I asked for. This is interrupting my life and my plans, God. (laughs) And we may think God is actually against us. But James is saying, no. God is actually using this to do something deeper in your life. You see, the pathway to maturity knows that trials will come. They know that trials will come. And what is a trial? A trial is both a difficulty and it's a test. It's both a difficulty and it's a test. In fact, the word test there carries this word picture of going through a furnace, going through a furnace. It's it's the smelting process. Smelting is a process by which precious metals are separated from worthless metals. And so what James is telling us is trials test our faith to see if it's genuine, to see if we're really relying on what we believe about Christ and what he's done for us. Someone might have gone through a deep trial to the point to where it causes them to walk away from God because maybe they're mistaken to think that God is against them or this is too much. But what James is telling us, he's saying, no, just the opposite. I want you to consider it pure joy when you go through these times of testing and trials because it's going to do something much deeper in your life than if you didn't go through those times. And listen, none of us like to go through those times. None of us like, we, we live, let's just be honest, we live in an evil world and people do bad things. Can we all say amen to that? And sometimes we're object of those bad things. And some of us have done bad things. Thank God for God's grace and his mercy because every single one of us need it. And so we've gone through these things in our lives or maybe things have happened to us in our lives and we're like, God, how do I process all this stuff? How do I allow you through the trials and the, and, the, and the situations I go through to consider it pure joy? How do I do that? Now, we all know that there's some choices we make that are just knuckleheaded choices, right? We make bad choices and we're like, God, that was dumb. And I just forgive me and we repent and thank God for his forgiveness. And then there are things that happen to us that are beyond our control. That we didn't ask for. It's just the world we live in. It's the fallen world we live in. 
These are the tests. These are the trials that many times will happen to all of us at one time or another. And what James tells us to do, he tells us to do something different when trials come. And this seems so at odds and so different from just conventional thinking. James, what he does is he tells us to consider it pure joy when trials come. Now, he's not telling us to fake it till you make it or just telling us just fake it and put on a happy face and do a tap dance. I mean, that's not what he's telling us to do. Just pretend, you know, that you're doing well when you really aren't doing well. He's not saying that. What James is telling us is he wants us to consider, he wants us to consider trials in a different light with a different perspective, a different perspective. I want you to understand that we, when we follow Christ, are constantly fighting against entitlement. That, that we deserve something. That I'm a nice person, so I, I, should, I, I deserve this. What, what James is telling us is, look at life with this expectation, with the expectation that you will face trials, that there will be things that test your faith. How many know that when you go into something with the right expectation, you handle it so much better, right? If you go into something with this unmet expectation, right, you don't handle it so well. And it's funny, I see this when uh, I do pre-marital classes with those that are engaged and getting married. You know, when they come in for classes, you meet with them and they've gone through an app. The couple has gone through an application process. And we ask them all these sets of questions like, what does love mean to you? And they're like, oh, this person I just love, you know, it just makes me think of, you know, the song by Roberta Flack, the first time ever I saw your face, right? And they're just like holding hands. Everything's wonderful. And I'm just thinking in the back of my mind going, oh my goodness, they have no clue what's about to happen, right? Good. They love each other. And Lovey-dovey. So what we do is, in the, in the marriage class, I give them 50 questions. And what these questions are, they're expectation questions about what they're expecting their marriage to be like. And it's hilarious. Because, because what I want them to do is, I actually want them to fight a little bit. I want them, I, I want to confront their expectations. So I'll ask just crazy questions like, um, do you want a basketball hoop in your driveway? And the longer, you know, maybe the guy or the girl's like, yeah, I had a basketball hoop growing up. And they're like, man, that's going to look tacky. We're not having a basketball hoop in our drive. Just crazy questions. I've added a new question because we live in Wayne County. I added the question, do you want a chicken coop in your backyard? That's the new one. That, that, always, that always gets some conversation going between the couple, right? Um, so <laughs> I remember Kathleen and we were... We were First, first mirror where expectations, right? And, um, you know, my mom ironed my shirts. Thank God we don't have to do much iron anymore. Aren't you glad for that? Just the press shirts, the stain resistant. I don't know what kind of chemicals are in those. But anyways, it's just nice not to have. And uh, Kathleen goes, I just want to let you know that I don't iron. I'm going, oh, okay, you don't iron. Okay. So then I just took my uh, clothes to my mom's house. But anyways, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> teasing. I learned, I learned how to iron, right? I did. I did learn how to iron. And Kathleen will, she's so kind. She will do some of my ironing when I absolutely need it. But listen, there's those expectations, right? And so when we go into with these unmet expectations, this is where the conflict begins. And listen, you will save yourself a lot of heartache in your walk with Christ 
if you have the expectation that life isn't always going to turn out the way you want. There's going to be broken relationships. There's going to be broken marriages at times. Our kids aren't always going to do what you want them to do all the time. There's going to be these things that happen in our lives, and we can get so down on ourselves. Like, where did I go wrong? What did I do? And there's things that we can take ownership of, and there's other things that just happen that are beyond our control. Here's the thing. If we can go into life with this proper expectation that, God, I'm going to lay myself at your feet, and I'm going to trust you through these things. And Lord, I don't want these trials or the type of suffering that I may go through or have to go through. I don't want that to dictate how I'm going to walk with you or how I'm going to live my life for you. There's something more significant going on that can be for our benefit if we allow it. Great book I would recommend by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And Tim makes this great point. He says this, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I don't mean to smack you in the face this morning, but, but that, that's the reality. Something will come along. Life will throw us a curveball. Something will, a monkey wrench will get thrown into the equation. Listen. Listen, that's the expectation. If we can go in with the expectation that trials are going to come, I believe we can handle it with a different mindset, with a different attitude. And we're going to struggle. Listen, listen. We're going to struggle with this passage if we think this life is all that there is or if we feel entitled to a better life. We will struggle with these first four verses. Because we will say things like, why am I going through this? You know, I'm a a nice person. Why am I going through this? And we're going to struggle with these first four verses if we don't understand what James means here. So the question is, how do we deal with our trials? How do we deal with our trials? Well, James says this. We have a choice now. We have a choice. We can either allow our trials or our circumstances to dictate how we're going to live our lives, or we can have a choice to choose joy. We have, we have a choice here. Warren Worsby in his book, Be Mature, says this. He says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to have a a, a really different perspective about this world. And yes, aren't you glad that there are so many blessings that come, many blessings that live, of, of just living in the United States? But on the other side, we have to be very careful because with that can come an entitled spirit. So we've got to constantly fight against, have it your way, right? That, 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 that's constantly, that image and that saying is constantly being put before us that I deserve this, that I did. Look at all I did. Look how hard I work. I deserve it my way. And it's very, we, we fight against that living in America. We have to be very, very careful. 
And I like what Worsby, the point he makes here is, he says, outlook determines our outcome and attitude determines our actions. See, this is where we need to really, really guard our heart. Because if we can look at suffering and trials as a pathway to maturity, God will start to do a deep work in your heart. And then you can say, God, I'm gonna, th- this thing is not good, the suffering's not good, but I know that you are good and you're going to mature me through this. And if I can persevere through this, there's a completion that you want to do in my life. That I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the hereafter. And when we can get that mindset in our lives, it keeps us from this entitled spirit that I deserve this, that, and the other. And it really robs us of the joy and the peace that Christ truly wants to give us when we can just release ourselves to God and say, God, I'm, I'm going to resolve myself to, to allow you to work in this situation, not knowing maybe what the outcome is or maybe there won't be a solution tomorrow or next week, but I can trust you knowing that you're maturing me. And I can look at the maturing process as joy because I'm going to grow closer to you. Now listen, 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 listen. The only way I can process all that in my mind is through the gospel. It's the only way I can do it. But listen to me. This is what I mean. If we don't understand what Jesus did for us, that it was the pathway through suffering that Jesus experienced God's glory. You will, you will short-circuit your maturity process in God. And what Jesus did is he relinquished himself to the will of the Father to allow himself to the will of the Father to face suffering for you and I on the cross that you and I might find freedom. So when I understand that part of the gospel... What I can say to myself when I'm going through a difficult time and a time of suffering or trial, who do I go to now? I go to Christ, who understands my suffering, who understands my trials better than anyone else because he faced them for me. So now I have an advocate. I have someone in Christ that knows me better than I know myself, and I can lay my burdens and my cares at Christ's feet because he understands he is the suffering servant who has gone before me and through his suffering allowed himself at the hand of God and his will to be glorified and to be lifted up who now sits at the right hand of the Father forever interceding for you and me. We have a faithful, perfect high priest that we can run to now, that we can lay our cares at his feet and we can find grace and mercy in our time of need because we have a perfect Savior who gets us, who understands us, who knows our shortcomings, who knows our sin, who still loves us, who still forgives us, where we can find grace at his throne, at his feet. See, I can't process the trials and the suffering unless I understand the gospel. And so when you go through something, you're not going through it alone. Jesus understands. And he says, listen, my child, 
Barton, would you, would you trust me? See, the closer you get to Christ, the more you can trust him. That he's not going to let you go. He's not going to disappoint you. And it's through these trials that we can gain access to this beautiful relationship with Christ and we can count it joy. See, if I don't process that through the gospel, I'm going to be totally messed up because I'm going to run to the world to try to solve my problems. I'm going to try to solve it myself. My identity is going to get messed up, right? That's why James says in the beginning, I'm his servant, period. He got it right. So let's be careful not to evaluate our lives and our success through our eyes or our situation. Amen? Or what trial we're going through or whatever it's happened to me. That's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ and Christ alone. In his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Viktor Frankl writes about his experience in a, in a Nazi concentration camp. Really interesting, interesting book. And Frankel, who was a Jewish prisoner, was, was, and he kind of shared the experience of what it was like going through a concentration camp during World War II. And it says, Frankel, who was a German, uh, who, who was under the, the captivity of Nazi Germany, he was stripped of all his clothes, stripped of all pictures, all personal belongings. What they would try to do is they would try to strip you of all your identity, and who you are. Everybody wore the same thing. Your head was shaved. They even took away your name. And they replaced your name with a number. Frankel's number was 119,104. That was his number. They tried to strip you from all your identity. And in, in his reflections... Frankel said there was one thing the Nazis could not take away. And this is what he said. Everything can be taken away from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You see, what made, what made Victor different was his attitude. See, what James is telling us, James is telling us, listen... I want you to think differently. I want you to think differently. Instead of hopelessness or discouragement through trials, we can actually gain something from them. Tim Keller says this about suffering. Don't waste your suffering. And what James is not saying is that trials are easy and that it's a cakewalk. He's not saying to whitewash it. What he is saying is that the outcome will be for our benefit because we will be mature, not lacking anything. Our faith and strength in Christ will actually grow through these hardships. But isn't there an easier way, Pastor? Can't there be an easier way? We all wish that. But if, if you've ever worked out with weights, you know that your muscles are not going to get stronger 
sitting on the couch eating Lay's potato chips, right? We know that, right? And the, the way your muscles strengthen is through resistance. The way your muscles strengthen is, is through resistance. It will only grow if something is working against it. You, you know how strong a tree is by its roots. The deeper the roots are, the stronger the root system is, the more it's capable to withstand strong winds. Listen, no one is looking for an opportunity to suffer. Suffering isn't fun and in itself isn't good. But James is not saying our pain isn't real or it doesn't hurt. So what's the purpose of pain? Is there a purpose behind it? Is there a purpose for our suffering? Listen to what James tells us. James says that God works in and through us despite our suffering. He's going to work it for our good that we might mature. What God accomplishes in us is good even though the suffering is not. Suffering draws us closer to God and and it ultimately matures us. If we trust God through the suffering, suffering can act like a fire in a furnace that will purify us into gold. And I love this third one. This third one I love. Suffering gives us compassion and insight into the troubles of others. Listen, I love hearing your stories because many of you that I've got to know and got to know your background and your stories and you, you share with me some of maybe the deep pain that you've gone through in your upbringing or your childhood or whatever has happened or maybe bad decisions that you made or whatever that, that might be. And the thing that I love about hearing people's story, not so much about their success because I can't relate to everybody's success because I just can't, right? You can't, you know, we're just like, oh, okay, that's nice. I'm glad for you. But when you hear someone's story of pain and what they've gone through, it draws me to that. There's a humility behind that. They're like, yeah, I've, went, I've gone through this. It makes you more compassionate and empathetic towards other people when you understand their background and what they've gone through. And when you hear that, It gives you compassion and empathy. When you've gone through something very deep and painful in your own life and you're able to share that story with someone else, that ministers to that person. You can relate to them. And see, when we're able to understand and be compassionate and empathetic with one another through our pain, God actually uses it for his purposes and his glory to draw other people to him. So you can actually say, you know what? They may say, well, how did you get through it? Or how did you deal with it? And you're able to have a story to share with someone else of how Christ has helped you work through it. And people will listen. And people will listen. I'll tell you what, people are hurting all around us. And when you just dig a little bit deeper under the facade and under the surface of what we're struggling with, that's where the real relationships start to happen. Boy, in the church, we should, we should not put on a facade in the church. 
that everything's perfect and hunky-dory. When we're able to get under the surface and share our hurts and our pains and what we're going through, that's where real relationships happen. And I believe that's where God works. I believe that's where he works in our hearts and our lives. And we're able to pray for each other, be empathetic with one another, show grace to one another. Suffering gives us compassion and insight into the troubles of others. We have a greater empathy. See, the joy comes from knowing our suffering is not in vain with no purpose. And we become more like Christ. And we understand him. We understand what he's faced for us. And we understand the suffering that he faced for us when we go through those times. Understanding that even in our darkest days, Jesus will never leave you. will never forsake us. And I want to remind yourself that Jesus faith, faced death for us and he conquered it. He faces our suffering for us. Jesus does this out of love and on our behalf. So you're never alone in your trial. You're never alone when you have a relationship with Christ Jesus. Now the church, this is where the church is important because this is where we gather around each other to help each other and to pray for one another. And I appreciate so much those of you that fill out prayer cards or ask us to pray for you and different things that you're going through because we need each other. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength when we admit that we're struggling and we need prayer. And that's how the church should respond with empathy and grace and compassion to one another as we suffer together. Amen. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. God gives us joy in the midst of it. Say, what? Yeah. He gives us joy and peace in the midst of it. I'll tell you what. I love the body of Jesus Christ. I love the church. Yeah, the church is messy because it's full of people. Amen. (laughs) And we're all a piece of work. We all are. But we need each other. We need each other. And I'll tell you what, when I became a Christian at 16 years old, I found a community of people that really loved me. And it was so different from the world. It's because Jesus Christ is at the center. And when he's glorified in our midst, there's unity. We need each other. We need to pray for one another. So this is what we're going to do today. I don't know, you may have come into this place and you, you dragged a big weight behind you today. You've got a lot of heaviness on your heart today. We want to pray for you today. And as we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you just to come forward and just to stand here at the front. We're going to pray with you. Me and Pastor Brandon and others will just come behind you and just pray for you. I, I don't want you to miss this moment just to say, God, I've got something heavy on my heart and I just need to lay this before you. And sometimes when you take that step of faith to make some action to take a step forward. God does some works, does a good work in your heart. And just to know that we love you and we want to pray for you. And so don't leave this place without taking advantage of that. So if that's you today, as we sing the song, just, just come forward, stand here. We'll pray with you and let's lay this burden at Jesus's feet and let's find his peace and his joy, even in the midst of our trial. Amen. And he will give it to you. He will. That's the promise. He will do it. 
So, Father God, we come before you today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are faithful. Lord, I pray for every person in this place that's just struggling, those watching online. It just had, maybe has came into this place with a heavy, heavy burden on their life. I thank you, Jesus, that you're our burden lifter, that we are not meant or capable to carry those on our own. And so we lay it at your feet today. I thank you for the family of God that we can care for one another and that we can make our requests known to each other, that we can be praying for each other. So I thank you for the family of God today. So Lord, I just pray as we sing this song about your faithfulness, that we would remind ourselves that you were faithful in the past and you'll be faithful to me through this thing too. But I need to trust you. I need to trust you. So give us the strength to trust you, to know that you're faithful as we lay this burden at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.